So, hi, welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. This is Richard Donaldson, and today we have the pleasure and honor of uh, Laura Ciceri, uh, who is the founder and head of Supply Chain Insights, a uh, one of the most prolific uh, thinkers, bloggers, writers uh, in the area of supply chain activity on the show today, and really excited to have you here, Laura, and thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule just to jump in and have a conversation. Hey, thanks. I don't feel very prolific. I've had the same blog post on my screen for the last three and a half days. So maybe you can jump start and help okay. me get it finished. <laughs> one is one blogger to another. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, you know how it is. I mean, we kind of get into the, the flow sometimes and it happens. So, well, awesome. I, you know what? I just, just like every episode or a lot of that we try to do, um, I, I would love to just spend the first few minutes here kind of getting to know a little bit about yourself and your, your career. I mean, you've really had sort of an amazing stretch and run through even your origination in, in electrical engineering uh, degrees and then moving into marketing and then how you got into supply chain. would love to hear just an overview of, of, of your career and what brought you to founding Supply Chain Insights. Well, I feel very fortunate. Thank you for asking me and having me on the show. I was actually a chemical engineer and uh, 1970s when women weren't supposed to be in engineering and I got there because I liked asking tough questions and I was good at math and science and I had a strong mentor who said why don't you consider engineering and I had no idea what it was being a poor girl from the southern hills of West Virginia and I was one of two women in chemical engineering, and I remember the professor would hold up my papers, and sometimes when I didn't get a great grade, which often happens in engineering school, he would always, you know, chastise me that women weren't supposed to be in engineering. And luckily, I was picked up for a program for co-op for minority and women diversity program by Procter & Gamble. And I probably wouldn't have finished engineering and probably wouldn't be in supply chain if I hadn't been heavily mentored. And so I often think back to that and I try to help people to, you know, kind of step up into careers that they may not feel comfortable with. And I went from chemical engineering to running manufacturing plants, had some great experiences with high performance team development. At so I was very fortunate to be mentored by some great professionals at Procter & Gamble and Clorox and General Foods. And I started out in high-performance team development and manufacturing and built distribution centers uh, and built uh, you know, direct store delivery systems. And then in the process, I got interested in software and was recruited by a company called Managistics, and we built early forms of supply chain planning. And when I first got to Managistics, I felt so far behind. And, you know, I found out that, you know, my rapid learning about what supply chain could be in terms of planning was very similar to what the market was going through. And then I went to Gartner Group to get a mega perspective and found out Gartner didn't care as much about supply chain as I did. And so then I ran research teams at a company called AMR Research. And then when Gartner got bought by 
AMR or AMR got bought by Gartner, I started my own firm. And so that's a long story about Laura getting in supply chain. Very fortunate that many doors opened along the way. Yeah. And and, and it seems like a lot of people that I've um, come into contact with didn't necessarily start in supply chain. They sort of fell into it and you follow that same mold. I mean, what, you know, what did you see? Because when you go back to your manuistics, uh, you know, that was seems to be around, if I'm not off here, kind of the late 90s when you were in that? I started at Managistics in 1992. And, oh, okay, early 90s. And so supply chain was defined in 1982, like 10 years earlier, as source, make, and deliver together. And in the 1980s, we were playing around with the concepts. And I feel very fortunate that I was an early supply chain leader because I had implemented direct store delivery in the Southern LA for Dryer's Grand Ice Cream. And I was working on the redesign of systems that allow us to do scan-based trade and take consumption data to guide direct store delivery and was implementing uh, early warehouse management. So felt really empowered to be a supply chain leader. And then that's when I got recruited by Manugistics to come and drive more of a business perspective on demand and supply planning. Okay. And, and as, as you got, I mean, because you've got such practical experience as you were kind of getting your um, awareness and understanding of the supply chains and supply chains that you were working with, you know, how, how did you, how did that move you into then, you know, creating supply chain insights? I mean, that seems to be, you know, the last, you know, eight, nine years. Uh, and it's, you know, obviously uh, a, a, a platform for you to also talk about your not only just expertise, but insights. And, you know, how, how have you now kind of taken supply chain insights? What are you doing with that? And then also, how has that, you know, changed your perspective of where the supply chain is and what it needs to do? Well, I founded it out of frustration because Gartner, uh, my Gartner experience was heavily uh, influenced by people that pay Gartner. And I wanted to have a more independent voice. And because Gartner bought AMR Research, I needed a place where I could go work. And I found that academic research was more backward looking and not forward looking. And I wanted to be able to provide quantitative research for business leaders that were looking for next generation advancements. And I needed a panel group. So instead of buying a panel group for quantitative research and you know being able to harness financial data, I started really aggressively building a LinkedIn following. So I used my LinkedIn following to do quantitative research and connect it to financial data to be able to understand the decisions we make and the impact on balance sheets. And that's how it happened. I sort Mm -hmm. of fell into it. And along the way, I facilitate share groups like the Network of Networks that's looking at how do we not just integrate the supply chain, but drive interoperability and value networks, which is a whole podcast in itself. Mm. And how do we drive different forms of analytics to really unleash the art of the possible? Yeah. And, and, and I think something just perked up in there, value networks. That's something that we talk about. I know Dr. John Gatorna, who I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, it's one of his big books that's out there. Um, <clears throat> so kind of coming into 
supply chain insights and sort of as that's evolved and kind of brings us into sort of present day, you know, what were the things that you were seeing pre-COVID, you know, as far as where you saw the supply, global supply chains going or needing to go or, you know, what were the top things that you were seeing? And, you know, this, this can span everything from the people who are involved in the supply chain to the design of the supply chains to the systems and platforms or technologies that the supply chains, you know, are currently on or should be on. Um, so it's a very broad question there, but you know, what were, what were the top things coming into sort of 2020 with supply chain that you saw, you know, as a culmination of your work in, in, in advising all this stuff? That's a big question. So yeah. let me try to dissect it uh, succinctly. Uh, supply chain means very different things for different companies and companies that are more advanced supply chain is source, make and deliver together. And it's outside in for companies that are laggards. It's a functional organization layered between logistics and planning and customer service without clear strategy. And so one of the things that's gonna happen out of this pandemic is a redefinition of supply chain capabilities. I think companies that are good at supply chain will fare much better. Uh, as you look at what's happening in the pandemic, we have you know double and triple whammies. We've got not only the shutdown for the virus, but we've got the economic downturn and we're going to have a supply chain redesign. It's not going to just be, uh, you know, a rebooting of the supply chain. It's going to be a reformatting of the supply chain. And the reason is because the definition of supply chain before this pandemic has been very narrow, focused on transactional efficiency, not necessarily looking at resiliency or looking at the design of the supply chain outside in. The traditional supply chain depends upon the order for demand and that time for demand latency to translate to the order will be just as deadly as the timing of the test that we had for COVID-19 to tell us where we had the outbreak. So we need to eliminate demand latency, understand consumption data, translate that data quickly and align the supply chain into a regional response versus the traditional supply chain did a paintbrush or a whitewashing that all regions were the same and that all priorities were the same. This is going to be a time of scarcity of supply and many supply chains that are gonna require alignment very quickly. Does that help? Uh, it helps a lot. And, and, and I think that's you know, a great way to kind of go top down to you know where I think Segwayed question I'm going to roll into is, as you look at this redesign, as you look at this rethinking, um, which, you know, clear agreement with, what's going to help drive that? What, what are you seeing? Um, it's sort of a loaded question here. But, uh, um, you know, what are you seeing kind of drive that transition, transformation, or enabling that, I think, is a better way to say it, right? Because um, that's, that's a key part of this. It's not only laying out the process, but then how do you in, in, enact that process uh, 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 using something, right, to, to, to make that happen. Um, I think it's technology, but, you know, what, what, where are you kind of coming at with the technological implications of digitizing supply chains, which is, you know, sort of a, a, a broad thing to say, but I think is inherent in what you're describing that needs to transform. Well, we've talked about digitizing supply chains, but most people have only made 
the existing supply chain faster, not more effective. Mm -hmm. They haven't asked the question of what should the atoms and electrons be. Instead, what they've done is they've looked at hands-free processes or movement of documents in a more digital form. Okay. So as we think about the redefinition of the supply chain coming up as it needs to because we re we shut it down really quickly mm-hmm. we've got to start with demand to understand who should the company be in this upturn what should the portfolio be you know should we promote it all uh what is the channel behavior how is the channel changing so for example when i was quarantined with the flu and the virus you know I only got 40% of the items that I ordered on Instacart. I was shocked to find that so many of the brands that I know and love did not have good presence on Instacart. Now, Instacart is one of the contactless types of shopping that will really evolve and thrive through this upturn, but we need to get good at contactless shopping and we need to be able to understand that channel much better and to translate that demand signal. The second thing is our inventories are all wrong. What people are buying is very different than what they bought prior to the pandemic, right? We're not selling, you know, luxury handbags and makeup. We're going to be selling a lot more clothing for stay at home. And, you know, people don't necessarily know how to cook. So they're going to want to have, you know, specialized items put together for cooking at home. It's going to be a while before we trust restaurants, which was 55 to 60% of food consumption. And so that whole restaurant supply chain is going to be totally redesigned. And healthcare is like, oh my gosh, where do we get started? So this whole supply chain redesign is going to start with what is being consumed and how do we rethink inventory because our inventories are wrong. And then we've got manufacturing and how do we think about a safe manufacturing environment and how do we bring up the manufacturing asset capacity in alignment with this new demand and how long will it take us to restart manufacturing capacity because you don't just turn on a chemical plant or an automotive plant and so we'll be living off the inventory for a while but we've got to bring up that capacity and the time to restart needs to be in our models because different industries will restart at different rates and logistics is a whole new definition. So our supply chain has been designed for frictionless borders, you know, the fact that we could cross from state to state. But what happens when we have hot spots? And, you know, what happens when we can't go through Europe with, you know, frictionless borders anymore. And the Baltic index for ocean shipping is at about 30% of what it was. And most of our containers are being canceled in a time when we really should be designing for the holidays. And so how do we redesign logistics 
with friction at the borders and logistics infrastructure that is not really at the capacity we're going to need in ocean and air. And that gets us to the issues of the supply chain black holes, where we don't have visibility of movement of goods in good times, but this is a time when good enough is not good enough because that whole logistics infrastructure is just not going to work well for the next six months. And the only surprise that we're going to have is constant surprise and disruption. And then we get to the suppliers. And while the traditional supply chain has pushed cost and waste backwards in the supply chain to the suppliers with long payments and, you know, not really a good governance to give them good signals, we're going to find that the supply base is fragile, that we're going to face bankruptcy and we're going to have issues with quality and we're going to have issues with being able to move supplies, which is going to require triage and supplier development efforts and really good signals to those suppliers, which most companies are not going to be good at because they've relied on portals and EDI and they are not good at passing demand signals to those suppliers. So we've got to take source, make and deliver and redesign it. So should we have the same product portfolio? Should we redesign manufacturing so we have fewer nodes, that we have more regional manufacturing? How are we going to reach out to our transportation providers and work with them on good signals and be a good shipper so that we're not holding trucks long and not working at the docks? How are we going to work with ocean shippers? How are we going to work with suppliers? So what I'm recommending is that companies form two teams. One is an operational team that helps us to work down inventories and deal with the near term of triaging the supply chain and a recovery team that thinks about the redesign and thinks about how do we think about pandemic source make and deliver capabilities. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, no, those are, those are fabulous. And they're, they're, I mean, they're simple and they're easy for people to latch onto. And I think that's one of the things that's been a challenge that I've seen in, in, in my supply chain kind of experiences here is things t- people tend to overcomplicate things. And if you can distill them down to simple concepts, they can be more actionable. So in the concept, so we've got the, you know, triage the current, that's sort of, you know, putting the band-aids on the current wounds, if you will. But then looking forward, what do you see being the sort of, I don't know if there's one game changer, but, you know, is there a trend that you're seeing these modern supply chains as they're evolving over the next, you know, year, two, three, four, five, that they're all kind of moving towards? Is there a, is there a common theme in solutions or technologies or, you know, uh, 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 foundational elements to help them move into this new modern kind of value web kind of concept? I think the primary theme is the movement from inside out to outside in. So traditional supply chains focused on transactions making ERP much more effective. In the outside in supply chain, we're going to build sensing and learning. So Internet of Things, cognitive computing, rules-based ontologies, the ability to sense, translate, and learn are going to be an essential capabilities. 
And when we do that, it's going to be about time, our time to sense, our time to translate, and our time to act. Those technology platforms are not available in today's supply chain. We've invested in transactional processing. <clears throat> We've focused on reducing the cost of IT through labor arbitration and getting lower costs for IT, but not really looking at advanced analytics and outside in processes. And, and do you see a space, do you, uh, you know, it, and again, this is sort of a theme that goes back to one of our other podcasts with a, a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Parker who wrote Platform Revolution. How do you see technology platforms playing in this world, right? Because it's, you know, one of the things on the tech side of the equation is the idea of building these things all internally in enterprise software. Well, that's kind of dying as it should. And, and there's a new world of platforms that kind of centralize all of this behavior or bring these elements, whether they're industry verticals, participants, buyers, sellers, whatever, onto common workspaces, right, that, that give the, you know, platform effects uh, and dynamics that can be built on an automation wheel. And so how do you see platforms kind of playing in that, that that's realm? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I find encouraging is the cloud-based open source analytics and cloud-based capabilities that are coming to market. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I find discouraging is continued investment in yesterday's technologies that have to basically manage data in rows and columns and don't really embrace unstructured data or streaming data very well. So, you know, it will depend upon how quickly companies can learn that outside-in processes are dependent on new forms of data, requiring different platforms, and requiring interoperability, not integration, mm -hmm. interoperability between trading partners. And the interoperability has to start with win-win value propositions, which right now we have a lot of win-lose um, relationships. And we don't take responsibility for data sharing. And the important element of data is accurate data that's timely. So I'm hopeful that perhaps this pandemic and the shortages that are going to evolve will help relationships to be more effective in value networks and that we stop just talking about value networks and we start building effective value networks. However, you know, we've got a long way to go because it's about relationships and it's about the definition of multi-tier processes that we don't have right now. And right now we've got a lot of hype in the market and we've got to ground that hype to be able to drive solutions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, I'm going to sort of bridge over now. So, so, you know, given the fact that there's this tumultuous change that there is and, and was a growing need pre COVID to really address the supply chain. Um, you know, as we've talked about, if, if you break down the enterprise, there's been a lot of investment in uh, advancement or modernization, whatever you want to call it, digitization technology in the areas of sales and marketing and the areas of finance and the areas of HR, but supply chain is lagging, but no more. 
obviously, and I think COVID, as you've clearly articulated, is just going to accelerate this. It's like a P0 kind of event now. So how, how does the organization of the supply chain change and adapt to address this new world that they need to, to, to live in, right? I mean, that's, that's another theme that seems to be out there. And I think you've got a lot of thoughts on that and what the, the organization looks like and even what the people look like in a new supply chain world. Well, I think the problem is that the organization is full of functional thinkers. We invested in sales to make it more efficient and we invested in marketing to make it more efficient not necessarily for the customer, but for the organization. So as we think outside in and we think about selling, distributing, customer service, manufacturing, logistics, and supply, we have to think outside in from the customer back. And that requires a different form of business leadership And it's going to highlight the need for those kind of process flows to the organization because we're living through a supply chain risk management case study in a way that they've never really had to think about it before. What they've bought are cookie cutter technologies and they've accepted that we know what good supply chain practices look like through things like the SCORE model, and they've never really been challenged to think about the status quo and the fact that their supply chain processes are not effective. So business leaders will step up in ways that we don't really expect, sort of like what we're seeing with governors of states stepping up. Some governors are really stepping up and some aren't. And you know, if we had to predict who would step up the best, we wouldn't have gotten it right. And so within the organization, a new set of supply chain leaders are going to step up that have the knowledge and the passion and the courage to question the status quo. And because the organization is going to be bleeding, our inventories are going to be you know, depleted, our supply base is not going to be able to support the ramp up, there's going to be a need for a change. Yeah, I mean, very well said. And, and, and do you have thoughts on what, I mean, so totally agreed. And I think that even when I listen and have talked to enough people now, and I'm sure you have too, is that seems to be what a theme I hear from a lot of people that have gotten into supply chain, like they were sort of tangentially, you know, they're in finance, or they're in something like you, you know, in, in, in engineering, and then kind of got pulled into it, but then you saw this massive problem to go solve and you just brought that creative energy to it. So I think there's a, a lot of, you know, that kind of uh, transition that's going on, pulling people into supply chain is sort of the hot topic for a lot of things and it's massive, right? I mean, it's just a massive business problem to deal with. What about the characteristics of the people, you know, kind of new supply chain people that are coming in, or, you know, even evaluating getting into supply chain right now, right? Because that's another thing that as we advance supply chain, as the organization changes, as the technology gets infused into it, as you know, new supply chain organizations are kind of restaffing themselves, what do these supply chain people look like you know, in the future? Because um, I, I feel like they're going to be way different than what they have been for the last 30 years. They're problem solvers and good communicators. Okay. And, you know, I do an annual talent survey uh, where we look at what's needed in supply chain. And prior to the pandemic, we were going to be 
about 30% short for 2030 with skilled resources. But, you know, instead of dealing with a functional view of logistics or a functional view of manufacturing, these are going to be broad thinkers. They're going to be problem solvers. They're going to be good with math. They're going to be really good at pattern recognition and they're going to ask hard questions and they're going to be good communicators. Mm. And we don't have enough of those kind of people. So I think it'll be a time where we'll see people step up. And do you think um, in that light then, then is there also a responsibility for the other C-suite and directs to embrace that change? I mean, how do you see the rest of the organization, you know, looking at supply chain and evaluating? How does the CEO rethink supply chain, you know, at that level? You know, how do they embrace that and, and, and empower that and make sure that that's happening? Well, I think it's going to happen naturally when the CEO has to basically deliver revised earnings and is accountable for what that is and it hinges on supply chain capabilities they get with the program really quickly. And we haven't had that across the board. Mm-hmm. And so the whole uh, complexion of business will change. Okay, okay. And, and yeah, absolutely, totally agreed. And so in, 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 you know, carrying on that theme here, these transitions and kind of how to go through that, is there anybody that's leading the way right now that you would point to and say, yeah, you know what, if, if, if people wanted to model or pattern after someone who's really embraced this and is sort of on the vanguard of, of this movement, is anybody that you work with or you identify that you kind of call out and say, yeah, that's, a, that's you know, someone to keep an eye on? It's way too early, Richard, but yeah. uh, I'll let you know. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, so coming back from that then, um, you know, looking again, coming out of this pandemic, how are you taking your message out, you know, to the people? How are you going to, continue to sort of push this agenda, even in this new world of virtualization and, you know, conferences now are going to be virtual or, you know, how, how does it impact you directly in pushing the message out and what you're trying to get done? So I want to be the independent voice for the supply chain business leader to help them to understand the art of possible and to bridge with other supply chain leaders. And if I can help anybody, I want to try to help. Okay. And, and is this through, are, are you adjusting anything you're doing with your particular consulting business with Supply Chain Insights? Are you changing anything that you're going to look at kind of in the, in the future here in this new world? Well, I don't think of myself as a consultant. Consultants know the answers and analysts are trying to form the problem. But uh, I will be doing more podcasts. I'll be doing more open content. I'll be doing some quantitative studies continuing the work on the network of networks to help business leaders to understand how to build value networks. Mm-hmm. And I just think the tempo will increase and I just want to help. Awesome. And, and because it's come up a bunch in here, I'd love to just spend a couple minutes also talking about, you know, how you define value network, right? What does that mean? It's a topic that's, you know, or it's, it's, it's a, it's a phrase that's come up. I don't want to say in the last five, six, seven, eight years, but, it's starting to emerge more and, and that's something that's very central to, you know, what you've been talking about. What is, what does the value network look like? So we were quick to define business to consumer through electronic channels. 
we have been slow to define business to business connectivity and the redefinition of business processes that could develop through digital signals. Today, most of the buying receiving happens through EDI, which is a lot like getting mail in your mailbox. It's old, it's not bi-directional, and uh, you can't respond to it. So we've been working on what does drive value in value networks? So it's the ability to be bi-directional. It's the ability for make source and deliver to see signals uh, with minimal latency and to understand what the processes look like. There are no supply chain operating networks today that connect source, make, and deliver together. Today, there are about 15 different supply chain operating networks that all operate on commercial models that do not drive interoperability. So whether it's Ariba or Lemica or uh, Eda Open or Infor, which owns GT Nexus, you know, I can go through the list, but mm-hmm. you know, it'll just be boring. There is no interoperability between these networks, and the commercial models actually uh, are detrimental in driving signals across source, make, and deliver. Now, there are lots of people like IBM that tout blockchain, and blockchain is a tool in the toolbox, but peer-to-peer blockchain is not clear how we deploy it. What's the role of the node? What's the definition of the side chain? How do we uh, best uh, work on private permissioned um, blockchains effectively? We're not clear on that. Mm -hmm. So a value chain starts with relationships, the definition of relationships around win-win value propositions. And the traditional supply chain is bought and sold on win-loss transactions. And so... If we are going to focus on win-win processes and multi-tier capabilities, we have to redefine how we buy and how we sell and how we move goods. And that gets to value because then we're able to deliver a larger value proposition. So, for example, if we think about global warming and the fact that 40% of trucks move through the supply chain empty, or we think about the fact that we do not have a good supply chain for safe and secure for food. We do not have a good supply chain that can quickly respond to a pandemic. Those are higher value goals that the trading partners would need to align on. And the alignment of those trading partners creates value. And, you know, the pandemic is a driving force that says, maybe we should work together. Maybe there is a bigger need here. So that's what I'm hoping. And Richard, I'm going to have to go. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um all right. Well, we can wrap up on that. Uh, appreciate the time. Um, uh, with, this is a wonderful conversation. So uh, thank you for sitting in on it. It was really excellent. Um, and it was great to actually finally chat face to face. Thank you.